tell you what, I have listened to a lot of special music and a lot of different people lead worship over the last uh, five plus years, but that was the best singing I've heard my whole time here. I love that. Thank you, guys. So I'm so thankful for uh, the many people that serve in that ministry here at North Park and uh, we're able to come alongside these wonderful individuals and be friends and love them and share the love of Jesus. So uh, thank you everybody for coming today. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, all right, well, have you ever been listening to a sermon, maybe on the radio or maybe on TV and, uh, you were listening and you're like, yeah, amen, amen, a what, 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 maybe you first say amen, but then you're like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> so sometimes I think we're watching stuff on TV and, and we, we hear stuff that's good and then we hear other stuff that we're like, well, maybe, maybe that isn't something we should uh, say an amen to. And so what we find in Colossians is that there's this group of people that are saying, yeah, the stuff about Christianity is good, but we should add something to it. We should, we should add something to this. And it's really lacking, so you need something more than just Jesus. And so Paul is going to write against that. So let's pray, and then we'll open God's Word today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the Friendship Club, and thank you so much for their singing, their joyful singing to you. And we're so thankful that we can be a part of that wonderful ministry, Lord. We're thankful for uh, them taking the time out of their week to come and, and join us and sing with us, Lord. What a blessing that was. Uh, we thank you that you know our name. You know our every thought. And uh, you hear us when we call. And, Lord, we thank you for those simple truths that are so profound. And uh, so as we open your word today, I pray that... Uh, we'll be able to look at the truth of your scripture and it will impact our lives and change us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15. Now, most scholars uh, think this is the heart of the book of Colossians. And in fact, the first two verses we're looking at today, 6 and 7, are really the core of a transition of what Paul is trying to accomplish in his Epistle. So at the beginning, he's laying the foundation and framework of who Jesus is. That Jesus is, is greater than anything the Gnostics can offer. He's, he's greater than anything the legalists can offer. He's greater than anything the culture can offer. That a true life lived in Christ will bring true fulfillment. In the midst of that, he wants to point out some of the flaws of their thinking. But it's not just about believing the right things. See, as Christians, we're called to believe the right things, but Paul's going to make a transition in his letter to say, now because you believe the right things, it's time to do the right things. It's time to live the right way. So let's begin in verse 6. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthening the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So maybe your scripture says, therefore, or here it says, so then, anytime you see a therefore, you say, okay, what's it therefore? Why is he saying so then? And so Paul here in this statement is really, this is a transition from everything he's been talking about in chapter one and the, the beginning of chapter two, talking about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And so he's saying, 
because of that, as you receive Christ as Lord, there's something you need to do. But receiving Christ as Lord is more than just believing in theological principles or truths. James 2 says that even demons believe in God and yet they shudder. So just to believe, yes, there's a Jesus or yes, there's a God, that's, that's not enough. This says that you need to receive Jesus as Lord. That means surrendering to Him as Lord, bowing to Him as your King. If He truly is, as chapter 1 says, the one who created all things, who sustains all things, the one who is powerful over everything, if He truly is that God, then the response is to say, I'm going to surrender to you, Jesus, as Lord. I'm going to give you my life. To quote Billy Graham, No man can said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had an emotional religious experience. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. And so... Paul is saying, look, for those of you that have received Christ, not just believed in Him, but received Him as Lord, as sovereign over your life, there are some things you should do. You should continue to live your life in Him. There should be this thing, this should be for the rest of your life, continue to live in Him. Now, interestingly enough, this phrase, in Him, is all throughout Colossians. And, and this isn't in my notes, but I just, as I was reading, you just... I couldn't get away from it. So in Colossians 2, um, verse 6 here, continue to live your lives in Him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in Him. Verse 9, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Verse 10, in Christ you've been brought into fullness. Uh, he is the head over every power. In Him you were circumcised. It's this idea that we need to live our lives in Christ. And later we'll look at this idea of abiding with Christ. It's through Him that we receive power. So how do we live in Him? What does that even look like? That seems like a really abstract thing. Well, the first thing he says, rooted. Have you ever dug out a tree before? It's a brutal process. I mean, you think, okay, someone comes and uses a chainsaw, and you get the, and the tree falls over, you're like, we're done. No. If you need to get at the roots... You try to get down and it, it, like it's never ending. You can't get to the roots. Or if you pull, have you ever pulled out like a, a bush and, you know, get out and there's just, the, the, the roots go everywhere and it's so frustrating. And the average tree roots grow 20 feet deep. But there is actually a fig tree in South Africa that has roots 400 feet deep. So he's saying we need to grow our roots deep. Maybe he's thinking about Psalm 1 as he writes this. In Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is that person. Now that person we see earlier is the person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And the psalmist is saying here, if you are planted by firm water, if you have this... Um, this connection to the source of life, then you will yield fruit in its season. In the same way as Christians, we need to be connected to the source of life. We need to be rooted in Christ. And, and there it's talking about a person who's rooted in God's Word. But in John 15, Jesus puts it this way. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Or maybe your, your translation says abide in me. As I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus is saying, look, if you want to grow, if you want to be a person who has fruit in your life, you have to abide with him. You have to find your strength in him. You have to be in relationship with him. But not only that, we're to be rooted and built up. Built up. See, I like watching those uh, TV shows on HGTV where they buy this horrible beat up house, you know, that's a wreck and they get it for like $7,000. There's a new one that's like in Detroit and it's really interesting because I'm like, oh, I used to live right around there. And uh, they buy houses sometimes for $1,000, $2,000, $8,000 and they're just a mess. And they go in and the first thing they have to figure out is, is the foundation stable? Because if the foundation is bad, either A, they have to just destroy the whole thing and start over, or B, they actually, you know, I think of like when you take your car out and you need to put a new tire on it, you jack up the car. That's what they do with the house. They jack up the car, jack up the house, they fix the foundation, and they put the house back down. Because without a good foundation, the house is not going to work. Well, here Paul is saying you need this foundation, this firm foundation. Jesus talks about being on a solid rock or on a sinking sand. There's many bad foundations in Christianity. There's two that I often see in our culture. Uh, and working in the youth ministry, I saw this all the time. One is emotions. And in that case, our, our foundation for our Christianity is based on our emotions. And so if, if we feel like God is close, if we feel like God is near... If we feel like God is with us, then we're like, yes, I, I dig this Christianity thing. But then at times where it's hard or we, or we feel disconnected from God or we feel far from God, we say, well, maybe Christianity isn't right. Or the second thing we often put a foundation on is our experience. And what we do is we value our experience over the truth of God's Word. And so if we experience one thing and the Word of God says this other thing, then we say, well, my experience has higher value. And so then we find ourselves with a bad foundation. You know, in this passage, Jesus said, everyone who hears his words, Jesus' words, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when the rains come down and the floods come up, it stays firm. But the foolish man hears the word Jesus says, but does not do them. That's like building your house on a sand. When the rain comes down and the flood comes up, the house is destroyed. See, we now need to be rooted in Christ. We need to have this foundation. We need to be built up in Him. But also, we need to be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. As we mentioned in the earlier, earlier uh, sermons, the Gnostics were teaching Christians that, look, you're missing something. And there was different forms of Gnosticism, so it's hard to tell exactly what form was in Colossae. But in some capacity, they were talking about this fullness, this thing you needed to pursue that was in addition. And if you did these different things, you could get to this higher spiritual experience that wasn't possible just by following Jesus. But on top of that, there were some others that were Judaizers that would say, you have to follow the laws of the Old Testament. If you don't follow the laws of the Old Testament, then you're going to have an issue. So... Paul is saying we need to be rooted and, and, and built up and strengthened in the faith as you were taught. What was the faith they were taught? The Scriptures. 
We need to study the scriptures. We need to have that foundation. We need to take everything back to that. Uh, once heard John Piper said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. Because the Bible is God's word, and we have it, and it's, it can speak to us. So our faith needs to be rooted, it needs to be built up, it needs to be strengthened, and it needs to be overflowing with thankfulness. One really good question, just to sit down and ask yourself at the end of the day, is, am I thankful? Did I praise God today? Did I live today in gratitude? You can hardly read Paul's letters without seeing this theme just eke out of the text. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in what circumstances? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, we, we outlined a few weeks ago all the trials that Paul went through. You're being shipwrecked, being beaten, being flogged, being stoned, all these different things that were done unto him, and yet he still was thankful. He still said, Rejoice the Lord. And again I say, but it's easy to just make that part of our normal routine and not even think about it. It's easy to just wake up in the morning and go, you know, and before we eat, Lord, thank you for this food. Would you bless this Cheeto I'm about to partake in? Change its structure to make it edifying to my body. But we often just say thank, thank you to the Lord without thinking about it. We might come every Sunday and say rejoice, but in our minds really we're saying, well, not really today. So how do we rejoice in every circumstance? How do we rejoice in everything? Well, I think it comes down to three things. Trusting that God is sovereign, as we saw in the beginning of Colossians, that He is the ruler of all things. Trusting in God's character, that He's good, that He knows what's best for you, that He knows what's best for the world. And lastly, trusting that He loves you. He's a Father who loves you. And those three things will help us to be thankful in the midst of every circumstance. Scottish pastor Alexander McLaren once wrote, The noblest offering that we can bring, the only recompense which Christ asks, is that our hearts and lives should say, We thank Thee, O Lord. And the continual thanksgiving will ensure continuous growth in our Christian character and a constant increase in strength and depth of our faith. I think he's on to something. There's this connection between gratitude and spiritual growth. When we find ourselves continually in this pattern of bitterness and resentment and anger, it leads to really spiritual death. We find ourselves in a pattern of gratitude toward the Lord. In the midst of our circumstance, it leads to spiritual health. It leads to spiritual life. So Paul said, so then just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened into faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So this is what we're called to do. Now, now, what are some ways that we do it? See to it that no one takes you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. But Paul is basically saying, don't be deceived. Now, Paul isn't writing that all philosophy is bad. In fact, Paul used philosophical arguments all the time. He's saying right now in Colossae, there's this, there's this hollow and deceptive philosophy that's 
that's coming into the church. And, and what it is, what Gnosticism is, is really it's a deficient doctrine of Jesus. And really all cults are a deficient doctrine of Jesus. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a deficient doctrine of who Jesus is. My, my kids from Afghanistan who are Muslims, they, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. So they believe in Jesus, but they have a deficient doctrine of who Jesus actually is. They don't recognize that he's the son of God, the creator of all things. The Gnostics said, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but the question is, what Jesus? And that's the question you should ask yourself. Even in things like the prosperity gospel that exists here in America, what it does is it, it shapes Jesus into their own image, into the American dream. You, we want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so if you just ask God, you name it, you claim it, God wants to give you wealth and prosperity. But that doesn't seem to fit with what Jesus says about suffering, what the, what the new disciples say about following Jesus. So what, what philosophy is seeping in? Well, it's this idea of human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world. Human tradition. I think this is something that, that, that comes into our life here in America. This idea of human tradition and elementor, elemental spiritual forces of the world. Christianity can often be made about rules, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go out with girls that do. You know, there, it's very easy in Christianity to make it about rules. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And you find yourself structuring your Christianity about what you don't do rather than what you do. It was interesting, I was uh, on YouTube, I don't know how I came across this, but uh, one of the one of the Dugan girls, there was that 19 kids in county or 18 kids in county. Or I don't know when it started. Maybe they had 12 when it started. I'm not sure. Um, but, but, and there's a lot of controversy with that. But this, this girl uh, really had her life turned around. But what she recognized was a lot of her life growing up was, was all about the rules, following the rules. And she had to make a transition in her mind that Jesus is about, following Jesus is about a relationship. Christianity isn't about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a person, Jesus Christ. These other religions are about beliefs. Christianity is about a person, Jesus, who sacrificed his life, came down to this earth, died so that you could have a way to have eternal life in a relationship with him. And so making our... Christianity about rules is going to fall short. See, the, the Gnostics, some form of Gnosticism said you have to follow all these Old Testament rules. You know, don't eat pork, don't do these things. Some of the Judaizers said you still have to be circumcised. You, you still have to, you know, follow all these Sabbath rules, all these different things. And Paul says, no, it's not about that. But he also said it's not about these elemental spiritual forces. Because the Gnostics were saying you have to have this spiritual experience. You know, so often in youth ministry, I would have students that are just longing for these deep emotional or spiritual experiences. And they would go, they would go retreat to retreat, hoping that they'd have this moment. And then they'd feel like when they went back home, like Christianity is so, so boring compared to this high that I experienced while I was at camp or while I was on a mission trip. It's like you're, you're seeking after something rather than seeking after someone. See, if you were making a counterfeit bill, you wouldn't take the counterfeit bill and put a picture of Spider-Man on it. 
Because you go to the you know go to the store and say here I'd like to pay with this twenty and they look at Spider Man and go nope. And so good counterfeit bills often look very similar to real bills. You know when I worked at Wendy's we'd train people but sometimes we're like they might not be able to figure out so they just had a pen. You weigh on a pen you can determine if it's real or fake. But it looks very similar. But if you are someone that handles money a lot, when I was in fast food, it would often feel different. You're like, this doesn't feel right. And so you check it, you're like, this is, this is fake. Not that we got a ton of fake bills coming through uh, Wendy's, but if we did get a fake bill and we didn't catch it, I got a ton of words from my manager. Uh, there was that. But the Gnostics were, were creating this counterfeit gospel that had elements of truth. And a lot of times the best, you know, deceptive philosophies in our culture are ones that have, you know, some things that are true. And so we go, well, that's true, that's true, that's true. But when we look closer, we don't realize that there's actually some things that are fake. There's some things that are wrong. And that's why it's so easy to be swayed by our culture or by these different Gospels. In 2 Corinthians, Paul put it this way. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. So there's people that are saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus, come, come listen to me. I, I got good news. And, but they're masquerading. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's the father of lies. It makes sense. It is not surprising then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And I've seen this so many times. People make Christianity about the rules. They make it about the experiences. They make it about their emotions. See, the Gnostics were trying to convince Christians that you need Jesus plus this. That's happened all throughout history. You need Jesus plus Jewish law. Jesus plus Eastern mysticism. Jesus plus Greek philosophy. Jesus plus Gnosticism. Maybe in our culture, it's something like Jesus plus prosperity or maybe it's something like jesus minus something see i don't know if we went to a cafeteria back in the day at at your college and uh now i recently have gone to like cornerstone and cedarville some of these other places their cafeterias are way different than when i went can i get an amen on that okay so you go there and there's like there's like a, a wood stove pizza place and you like walk over and have this amazing pizza. And you're like, okay. I think mine was like not even DiGiorno. You know, not delivery, not DiGiorno. It was like DiBato. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, they have this over here. They have this whole salad bar. Everywhere you go, there's all this stuff. You know, back in the day, you went down the cafeteria line like yes or no. That was like your questions, right? You know, do I want this? Yes or do I want this? No. But sometimes in Christianity, yes or no, we, we go down and we have our plate and here's all the teachings of, of Scripture. And I think a lot of people go, well, that one's too hard. I, I'm going to pass on that. I don't really like that teaching. Or, you know, I, I have this friend who, who lives that way, so I don't want to say that's wrong, so I'm going to pass on that. And we find ourselves picking and choosing what we believe from the Bible rather than saying God's Word is whole, complete, from beginning to end. And the crazy thing about this Bible we hold It's written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents and three different languages, and yet tells one congruent story. 
It can only happen by the Holy Spirit's guidance. We have God's very words. We don't have to pick and choose what we believe in here. It is all true. So we are tempted to do Jesus plus legalism, Jesus plus emotionalism, Jesus plus all these experiences. But really when you add Jesus plus anything, you end up with nothing. But Jesus plus nothing, you end up with everything. You want to be rooted, built up, and established in Him. See, it's easy to make Christianity about rules. It's easy to make it about experiences. It's easy to conform Jesus to our own pre-existing belief systems and say, okay, Jesus, anywhere you fit in this, I'll let you come in. But if you don't fit, sorry. So how do we counter that? Well, verse 9 says, For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought into fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, because of time, I did have to kind of cut out some of this stuff because this is all just rewinding back to chapter 1 at the very beginning. So, (coughs) I encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back to that. But I did find this sermon uh, illustration helpful to illustrate it. Uh, R. Kent Hughes, one of my favorite pastors and and a a commentary guy, he wrote this. He said, My wife and I once stood on the shore of the vast Pacific Ocean. Two finite dots along a seemingly infinite expanse. As we stood there, we reflected that if I were to take a pint jar and allow the ocean to rush into it, in an instant, (coughs) sorry, my jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific. But I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean into my jar. Thinking of Christ, we realize because he is infinite, he can hold all the fullness of deity. And whenever one of us finite creatures dip the tiny vessel of our life into him, we instantly become full of his fullness. Now the awesome thing about that is, where the illustration breaks down, he shares this, is that our... Our little thing that we dip into the ocean, it actually expands as we grow and walk with Jesus. And so we, as the scriptures say, we we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we can continually have more of Jesus as we seek him. So verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now Paul here is talking about spiritual circumcision. In Romans 2, it was uh, circumcision was something that the, the Jews practiced. It was part of uh, their, on the eighth day, they would circumcise the kids as a sign of the covenant. But Romans 2, Paul says, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So he's talking about this this spiritual circumcision, this identification with God. And in this, the the flesh, the sinful nature was, was cut off. It was removed by Jesus. We died to our old ways, and we are alive in our new life. Next verse, Paul says in Romans 6, For we know that our old self was crucified. It was, it was cut off. It, it, it died with him so the body would be ruled by sin and would be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free 
from sin. But not only was our sinful nature cut off, removed, died. Verse 12, it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, baptism is this beautiful picture. And when we celebrate baptism, and by the way, we're going to have a baptism class in two weeks. And so if you'd like to be baptized, please uh, see me. Uh, we're going to announce that in the next couple weeks. Um, but it's this picture of of being of, of your, your, your old self dying, going into the water, and the, the death of the old self, and then being raised to life through Jesus with new life through your faith. It's this beautiful picture that you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, dead is a, a spiritual state, but it, you know, what can you do to save yourself when you're dead? Nothing. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was watching a Monday of football game, or actually I wasn't watching, I started getting texts and I tuned in after I got texts. Damar Hamlin, a safety for the Buffalo Bills, uh, was just playing football and his heart stopped right on the field. Craziest thing, you know, you've seen live. And, uh, and so he went to cardiac arrest. Within 10 seconds, the, the trainers got out there. Within five minutes, the, the an ambulance was on the field. They performed CPR. Thankfully, they had AEDs, so they, they, uh, they did the defibrillator, and they were able to save his life. But he couldn't have done anything on his own. He would have died without them intervening. Because they intervened so quickly, they saved his life. But because of our sins, we are dead in our trespasses. We're not like, you know, we're, we're, we're unable to save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to get to heaven, to, to get to God, because we're dead. A dead person can't save himself. We were dead in our sins. But, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. What good news. No way to help ourselves, and yet God made us alive. We were separated from God. We, were, we had an uncircumcised flesh. In other words, we were not part of God's covenant. But how did God make us alive? I, I love this. I, I put it a little bit more logically here in this next slide. This is how God made us alive. First, He forgave all our sins, which is a crazy thing, you know. All of us have sinned so many times. So he forgave us our sins. Then, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Th- this is crazy. You know, um, every, every month I, we, we get a, uh, a debit card bill. Well, it just comes right out of our, our account. But I go back and I look and I, and I look at all the different things that we paid. And I see all the different transactions. What if you look back at your life and had a list of every single sin you've ever committed. Every time you lied to your parents, every time you were angry with your spouse, every time you were you know, frustrated with your kids and you said something you shouldn't have, every time you said something mean to your boss when he did something you didn't want. What if there was a, a, a legal document that had all of this? Well, what did Jesus do? He forgave us our sins and he canceled the charge. All those charges written down, he canceled it. And he said he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Martin Luther, uh, famous uh, reformer, 
said this. Once he experienced the reality of this truth in a dream in which he is visited at night by Satan, who brought to him a record of his own life, written with his own hand, to confess it. And the tempter said to him, Is that true? Did you write it? And the poor terrified Luther had to confess it was all true. Scroll after scroll was enrolled, and the same confession was wrung on him again and again. At length, the evil one prepared to take his departure, having brought Luther down to the lowest depths of abject misery. Suddenly, the reformer turned to the tempter and said, It is true, every word of it, but right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Think of that, the ledger of all of your sins. And when Jesus forgave your sins, he wrote his name in blood across that debt and said it's been canceled. He forgave it, he canceled it, and he took it away. What an amazing truth. Well, last night I was, I was thinking, uh, how do I wrap this up? And I decided to try and be a good Baptist today. I, I have three points for my application. They all start with the same letter, letter. I never do this, but I wanted to throw it back to 1980. So, gospel-grounded gratitude. Gospel-grounded gratitude. When you look at all this, what do we see in this text? What, what, what jumps out? I think it's three things. The gospel, how we need to be grounded in our faith and gratitude with which we live. So we need to have gospel-grounded gratitude. First, the gospel. While you were dead, hopeless, stuck in your sins, with no way out. Romans puts it this way. While you were still sinners, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the most amazing news that exists in the whole World And maybe today, maybe you say, I'm out there, and right now, I'm dead. I'm hopeless. I, I need a Savior. I need saving. I, I can't do this anymore. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I know I can't get my way there on my own. I can't do enough good things. My ledger is too full. I have too many debts. But the good news is no matter how many debts, no matter how far gone you think you might be, if you think you've done too many bad things. Remember, Jesus was on the cross, and the guy next to him who was being crucified for actually being a thief for his sins, believed in Jesus and said, today, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy didn't do anything to deserve that. But he believed in Jesus. So Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise paradise jesus can make you alive today if you surrender to jesus he'll forgive all your sins how can he forgive your sins well he can cancel the charges how can he cancel the charges by taking them away by nailing them to the cross i love this jb phillips translation of these verses he jesus has forgiven you all your sins Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. What a great truth. See, God created us for a relationship with him, but, but our sins, the debt we have, the ledger we have separates from, us from God and we can't do enough things to pay for that debt. So Jesus sent his son and paying the price for our sins, Jesus died so that everyone who trusts in him alone will have life. And that life with Jesus isn't just a destination. It starts now and lasts eternally. 
The gospel is greater than anything this world can offer. More than anything else, we need Jesus. More than financial stability. More than relational health. More than anything this world offers, we need Jesus. So first is the gospel. Second, we need to be grounded. Our faith needs to be grounded in God's truth and His Word. We need to be rooted in Christ. We need to have our lives rooted in His Word. We need to be built up. We need to have Him be the cornerstone, the foundation of everything we do. And we need to be established by Him. How do you tell if something's counterfeit? Well, as I said at Wendy's, we had a pen. Yeah. If something's not real, at Wendy's, when he had the, 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 do, the dollar bill, anything 20 or above, we had them, you know, you can just look and see the line, but we said, we don't trust the law, or people are going to look at the line, so we gave them a pen. Every time they got a $20 bill, they wiped on the pen. And the pen would show, is this counterfeit, or is it real? This is our pen. When we hear things, we go to God's Word and say, is this real, or is this fake? Is it true or is it not? God's Word guides us to know what is counterfeit and what is not. Read the Bible. Study it. Memorize it. Look at it. Examine it. Go to it for the answers of your questions. So we need the gospel. We need to be grounded. And lastly, we need gratitude. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, Strengthened in the face as you, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's so many things I'm thankful for, but it's so easy to look down instead of looking up. Thankful for the foundation. That our foundation is not my good works, because then my faith would fall apart. It's, my foundation is in Christ. Thankful for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, that I'm saved by grace through faith, not by my works. I'm thankful for God's grace, giving me the things that I don't deserve. I'm thankful for his mercy, not giving me the things I do deserve. I'm just thankful for Jesus. In the words of one commentator, a thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It's looking down, not up. And that's the temptation in all our lives. So can you continue to look down at all of our surroundings, to have fear, to have anger, to have resentment, to have bitterness, all those things focusing on what's right in front of us and forgetting to look up at the one who saved us. Look up at the one who provides life. Look up at the one who can provide joy. So Paul can say, rejoice always in every circumstance as he's being beaten, as he's shipwrecked, as he's in jail. He wrote this letter from jail imprisoned and he says to be overflowing with thankfulness so i do have one thing i want you to do this week one thing you know one practical thing and that's every day this week at dinner go around the table if it's just you uh, call call friend and uh and say what am i thankful for today what can i thank god for today because we need to have gospel grounded gratitude my prayer is that we all have that if you're here today and you, you don't know who Jesus is, please, I'll be down the front after. Come talk to me. I'd love to introduce you to the Savior. He will change your life so that when you look at everything around your life, and it may seem like it's all a mess, and it may be all a mess, He can put the pieces of your life back together, and He can give you real joy in the midst of that circumstance. Let's pray. God, thank you 
for a chance to open your word today. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, thank you so much for the Friendship Club singing today. What a joy and blessing that was. Lord, thank you for, for all their family that's attending today too, Lord. And um, thank you for this ministry that we have. And, and thank you for your word. Lord, we know there are so many different philosophies and, and empty things out in this world. Um, things that our culture says, if you do this, if you believe this, you'll have satisfaction, you'll find joy. But we know true joy, true satisfaction is only found in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, we pray that we'll have gospel-grounded gratitude each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> 